0: There's this derelict lot behind a fence, and there's this group of bohemians breaking into it right before dusk, breaking the law to get into what is now an empty field. What was this place? A haunted house? A blockbuster? No. It was the off center. And today, these artists and patrons of the arts are gathering together for a simple ritual that they call Lost Austin. It goes like this. You think of a space in Austin that is gone, that you loved. The patio at Liberty Lunch, the Rhizome Collective, a field where you played as a kid that is now something else, a lover's house that is now someone else's house and totally different. When you arrive, arrange yourselves as a map and you walk around and ask each other who and where they are. Uh, are So the off-center was behind the shortstop and the Payless on East 7th Street. The off-center was on Hidalgo Street. And whoever is representing the off-center might want to find someone further west, downtown, or someone south on Lady Bird Lake to help orient themselves on this map of Lost Austin. Then you take turns, wandering through the city of people, and you ask questions, you talk, you share your memories.
1: You oh,
2: you're walking around. Okay. I was in my first gotcha. apartment, which is not far from
0: SBT, so that's... As the sun goes down, you gather with the group in a circle, and someone starts what sounds like a prayer.
1: You are welcome in this world. You are welcome in this world. In your, best moments, in your best moments. In your best moments. You will always feel off-center off-center. So the off center will be a blessing.
0: So the off center will be a blessing
1: to you and to anyone. To you and to anyone who was ever here. Who was ever here. Anyone who is here now. Anyone who is here now. Blessed to say. Blessed to say. To anyone else who is now here. To anyone else who is now here. Just text me. Just text me. Or call any rude mech. Or call any rude mech. Or anyone else you can see here. for anyone else you can see here. And say, and say to the off center. To the off center. And we will come to you. And we will come to you. As soon as possible. As soon as possible. And make a space together. And make a space together. That was like this space. That was like this space. Just say with me. Just say with me. To the off center.
0: This prayer might sound familiar because you heard it a year ago when you said goodbye to what this place used to be.
1: We can't anymore in a couple of days come to the off-center of the place. But I do think there's a way that we can call one another... You can call any of the Rude you can call any of the co I'll make this offer. I'm sorry, I'm offering this on behalf of the co I don't know. Um, but also look around, I'll screw your lives as bad as I'm about to screw ours. Um, anybody here, you text them or you call them, you say, I need to go to the off-center, and that'll be a call-out to say, I need to sure. go to a place where I just feel sure. welcome. Not just the, the part of me that you accept, but the part of me you don't even accept, you don't even know, the weirdest part of me. Um, that that place, this, this clubhouse has been that for us. Uh, that you could go to this place and just be accepted as your full self. And so with that in mind, I want to change what it means to say we're going to go to the Off Center. I want to invite you all to say, to the Off Center. To the Off Center!
0: If you weren't there, I'm sure you have a lot of questions. Who is this guy? Why do we care? Who are the rude mechs? What's a copad? Who am I? Well, my name is Katie Van Winkle. And I work in theater today because I met the Rude Mechs when I was 15. That was Kirk Lynn, a co-pad or co-producing artistic director of the Rude Mechs, an ensemble-based Austin theater collective long based at the Off Center. Over their tenure at this warehouse theater from 1999 to 2017, the Rude Mechs produced over 30 original plays, launched international tours, received over 180 awards and nominations, and also provided studio and performance space for dozens of local artists. In the final days of the Off Center, your regular preservation station hosts, Michelle Dahlenberg and Michael Furstenfeld, went out into the field, before it was a derelict field, to capture moments from both that final farewell party and a final yard sale. It's the saddest yard sale that's ever occurred. No, I'm sure there have been other sad yard sales. And they were able to capture a few of the Rude Mechanicals, like that one, Hannah Kana, out in their natural element. And like this one, Madge Darlington.
3: Yeah, I'm Madge Darlington. I'm one of the founders and one of the co-producing artistic directors for Rude Max. And I've been with this space since we got it, since, uh, what was it, 1999. And I remember, specifically, I think Jason Newlander of SVT was wanting to use Hyde Park, but we had reserved Hyde Park. And he said, I'll show you the space that I've got reserved, but he didn't want to use this place. So we traded, we thought it was great. And so we traded and we took over this space, I guess either for Don B's or maybe it was Lipstick Traces later. At some point we took over the the management of the space from the the art grad students that had been here. But it's been all kinds of things. It used to be a a feed store and we have on the pipe up there it says Texamix Feed. I think it was originally a feed store. We found a worm drive in the floor and there were conveyor belts and what else it was an ice factory. When we first moved in people would still stop by trying to buy ice. Yeah an anarchist bookstore set up here. There were raves here. We really had to convince the fire marshal that we were not gonna hold raves because the space kind of had a bad reputation. We never wanted the space to run us. Like, we wanted to run the space. And it's a decision that we revisited every year. I can point to places on this stage in particular, where teens who were in our Girl Action program, it's a program in autobiographical writing and performance, and now it's open to all genders, and it's called Off-Center Teens, after the name of the building. But for many years, it was Girl Action, and it's autobiographical writing, and then they would turn that into short performance art pieces. Chris Strickling came to me and said, I want to do a project for teenage girls. She had a 13-year-old girl at the time. And the year prior, Sharon Bridgeforth and Marjorie, they had done a show called The Girl Project. And it was for teenage girls, kind of between 13 and 16. But that was just kind of a one-time thing. And my wife's mentee had been in that program. So we decided that we were going to create this program for teenage girls. The late 90s and studies were coming out about how girls raise their hand a lot less often in school and are not called on as often then and are shy about public speaking. And there was the Ophelia project that was going on here in Austin. It started about that time. And most of the founders of the company were women. In fact, all were except for Kirk. And I think we all had experienced moments where we kind of found our voice on stage. It was really a passion project to work with teenage girls and mentor them in performance art. You know, we had lot a lot of, of principles that you know it would be progressive pedagogy and that we would never censor the girls. We would explain to them, you know that we are feminists. And, you know, if one of them wanted to do, say, a pole dance, we said we might steer you in a direction that we feel is more feminist, but we never censored them. And I feel like lately I've come to see that as one of the most important tenets of the program. It had incredible diversity, that program, socioeconomic diversity. There were daughters of our patrons that would go, and then also we'd always give scholarships to the girls from the settlement home, which is a group foster home. It was racial diversity, socioeconomic diversity. Capital Metro was our landlord at the time, and we let anyone that was associated with Cap Metro could have one of their daughters participate in the camp for free. I just feel like these young kids, they see, hear, and listen to culture that's, I don't know, I guess what people call bad words. I don't think any words are bad. But then they are not allowed to utter them. It was important to me that we were not affiliated with any school because we wanted the girls to call it as they saw it. I remember one girl, Megan did a piece called Fuck Bush (laughs) when George Bush was our president. It was just very empowering for those girls, I think, to not be edited. And I remember just how brave so many of the girls were. Laquita stood right there and she had her grandfather on the front row of the theater and she came out to him during a piece. I just find that kind of work incredibly brave.
0: Girl Action is how I met the Rude Mex. 18 years ago. I was a part of the very first class when I was 15. Lana Leslie and Sean Sides were the lead teachers. At first, I resisted the autobiographical work because I was used to performing in musicals. I didn't believe I had anything worth talking about, and I kept trying to write fictional plays. But they challenged me to dig deeper. I ended up performing a monologue about how my peers all seemed obsessed with a certain idea of romance, and how I felt isolated because I wasn't interested in dating, and didn't care what boys thought of me. I was just learning that I was queer, and I didn't know what to call it yet. But this huge crowd from the Austin lesbian community attended the girl action show, and the response I got for this monologue from that crowd, laughing and cheering, hooting and hollering, was one of the most amazing experiences I've ever had on stage.
3: We also had the Throws Like a Girl presenting series that we had where we'd bring famous women solo performing artists come, so Deb Margolin and Peggy Shaw and I remember moments with them. Lana's got a great story about She was down in the office and she heard Peggy Shaw scream bloody murder up in the space. And she ran up here and there was a, it was a lizard. It was a big lizard, but but Peggy had never seen anything like that in Texas. I remember a rat snake being in the dressing room one time. Uh, All kinds of rodent and marsupial stories. One time I was over there, Carlos was in the theater space and a huge mama possum just fell out of the rafters and hit the stage, splat, and I thought it was dead, and it was playing possum. It was, I'd never seen a possum actually play possum. But the things about possums, they're not afraid of, baby possums in particular, not afraid of sound and light. I remember Angie Cariotis doing a performance on stage, and a little baby possum wandered up to her during the performance, and she said, hey, this is a one-woman show. And the audience uh, just died oh, laughing. Yeah. Those possums just had no fear. They were coming on stage. And then Deb Margolin was just terrified of the possums and had heard this story. I remember the only way we could get her to perform is if we promised we stationed me backstage with a net and Kirk in front of the audience with a net. And we swore to her if any baby possums came on stage we would we would grab them. That was that was an odd moment, standing backstage listening to what Deb What kind of Margold. net, like a like a butterfly net, or like what kind of like it's a like big a net. fishing net, you know, that we got at Academy.
0: Another rude Mac, Aaron Taylor, had a story of pests at the off center. Just a warning, it does involve insects.
4: We took over the next building over, and we decided to call it the Center Center, um, and, and uh, we were gonna. I guess just like gut it out, renovate it, and uh, use it for performances. Um, I mean, we didn't know exactly what we were gonna do with it, but we knew we just, we just had to gut it out. And uh, I was over there working an awful lot, um, and trying to help with that. And I was out, I was there all on my own, late one night, digging up what I guess used to be a spot where like, uh, it was probably, it was probably used as an auto shop or something, or a spot where like they would do oil changes. I don't know, it, like there was just sort of a pit into the ground. I was digging away at it and hit some sheet metal with a shovel. I was digging up, digging up and cleaning things out and all of a sudden an eruption of cockroaches just came out and I was in this pit and I had to jump out of the pit and there, were, it was like a hive. I had no idea that like cockroaches lived like that. I had no idea that they have hives and they were just everywhere, everywhere, everywhere and, and they're like those big motherfuckers too like the German ones, right? I don't know, that, that, that terrified me and it's um... It's it's trauma, but it also makes for a really uh, fun memory, you know.
0: It sounds gross, but the off center was a magical place.
4: It was all done in in, in in for the love of the space, you know. And we did we did uh, clean that spot out, and we did do some shows there. And uh, it's had a, a different life because of the Rude Mix, you know.
0: The Roots worked really hard to turn it into a performance space that passed inspections. No matter what show I was doing there, whether it was as a barefoot servant girl in One Fleece Spare or as a naked maenad with the Roodmechs in their reenactment of Dionysus in 69, we were always struggling with the elements. The heat, the cold, the possums, the bramble patch in the back you might have to cross through to make an entrance. All these shows offered me an opportunity to be brave by revealing something of myself to strangers, by braving the elements. That's what the Off Center did for a lot of us, I think.
3: The irony was that the day it was announced to the community that we were the theater in residence for theater and dance department at UT, was the same day I got the call that UT was becoming our landlords and that the land had been traded out from under us. We didn't get a first right of refusal to to buy or else we would have hustled and tried to do that. It was a done deal when we were told and we had no agency in that at all. There were meetings, there were talks. We got to talk to them, we got to talk to the UT real estate folks, we got to talk to their lawyers, but there's never any sense of satisfaction derived from it. I remember telling the lawyers for UT we're the resident theater company at, at UT. And they said, well, so you say. if we said, well, we can show you the contract or you can look on our website. And they said, yeah, we saw that on your website. But it turned acrimonious really fast. Because yeah. they just, they don't understand what we do or the value we add to the community. It's kind of a mystery. that They don't have any investment in finding out. It seems like it's all about money. I know. But then again... It's for the children. Like, I don't think they see the value of what we do here. They just see an opportunity to continue their mission, which is to teach children. And that's kind of held above, you know, experimental art. (laughs)
0: So back to the farewell prayer.
1: Right here is that this is gonna be a bus circle for little kids. I think that's great. I want you to think about making a magic spell. I want you to imagine these stupid little kids in their buses. I want you to imagine these stupid little kids in their buses, and I want you to imagine that some of them look like a stupid little Kirk or a stupid little Thomas or a stupid little Matt, or a stupid little Lana, a stupid little Sarah, a stupid little Sean. A stupid little Graham, a stupid little Peter, anybody you think that it would be funny as a stupid little person. And I want you to imagine them staring at the window just feeling like a total fucking freak, an asshole, and idiot. And to imagine that the world is coming for them, that a clubhouse is coming for them, that a group of friends is coming for them. And, and, and that they're gonna find this place in this stupid little bus circle, that the spirit of the officer is still gonna for them, their lives for some of them are gonna find them going to take care of. Them. Bravo. Bravo.
0: But that hasn't happened yet. 9 months later, it's still an empty lot and nothing appears to be happening. We've reached out to UT but still haven't been able to get a statement from the UT elementary school that now owns the space. Uh, it's hard because
3: I'm really mourning the space right now yeah. and um... And especially today of all days when we're actually selling off you know artifacts from our shows it's it's kind of hard to have hope because honestly we've been working on solutions for so long and we don't have a very clear path forward yet we've got support from the mayor and from the City Council and the Arts Commission uh, and we've had supportive words from different developers but the truth is, the market right now is, commercially, is 15 to $17 per square foot, and we can afford about a dollar a square foot per year. So that is a pretty big gap. We're very worried about having to make money. Again, it's the idea we don't want to become landlords. That would take too much time and focus, and it would take us away from the art, because we're an artist-run company. And so we all have parts we play on the staff. We want to spend more time in the rehearsal room than in the office.
0: The Rude Mechs don't have a performance space anymore, but they're still creating theater. Their last season, Crush Austin, presented one event in every city council district citywide, and they're partnering with some of the biggest and smallest theater companies in Austin. But like other artists in Austin, the Rudes need a home. In the meantime, you can help. Email your city council member and say you want them to support space for artists in Austin. Visit the Roods at rudemex.com, where you can donate and find out what they're up to. For Make Every Media and Preservation Station, I'm Katie Van Winkle.
2: Thank you, Katie. We're recording that hosting back in December of 2018. By the way, this is Mike, six months later, and I do have some news. Don't get too excited, but maybe get a little bit excited. As we were wrapping up this episode, the Roods were preparing to launch Crashbox, their new interim home on Balm Street. It's not exactly a long term solution but it's still a rentable, affordable, and available space for at least the next three years. And the roots are still performing elsewhere, too. June is riddled with readings, Fixing the Last Henry at Ground Floor Theater, where they take an old, broken-down Shakespeare play and they fix it up for a modern audience. Open rehearsals for their newest project, High Crimes, the impeachment of the worst president in US history, and also performances of Kirk Lynn's one-man show, The Cold Record. You can get your tickets for all those things at rudemex.com. And find out more about all the art happenings in Austin at nowplayingaustin.com. Or subscribe to this podcast at makeeverymedia.com. Especially special thanks to everyone who contributed their voices and brains to this story. Katie Van Winkle, Madge Darlington, Kirk Lynn, Hannah Kanah. Aaron Taylor, Camille Elise, our co-producer Michelle Dahlenberg, our caravan of editors, Seth Cleveland, Jake Waters, David Fruchter, transcriptionists, Megan Moten and Ryan Wright, Editorial counsel Andy Crouch, Jeff Britt, and Tyler Parks. And finally, all these local Austin musicians who have shared their music throughout this episode. Botany, Jeremy Cudd, Jason Newman, Andre Wesley, Forgotten Discovery, The Roods, Ground Floor, SVT, The Vortex, and theater companies like these are still in the midst of a creative crisis. And you can still help. Sometimes the easiest thing to do is make an investment in your local arts and artists, even if it's just going out to see a show. The Preservation Station series on Make Every Media is a sponsored project of Austin Creative Alliance, supported in part by the Cultural Arts Division of the City of Austin Economic Development Department. We're gonna need those arts to keep us fired up. Ah!